So I have with me by phone today Dr. Emma Crawford, who's an occupational therapist and academic at the University of Queensland and co-founder of Fig and Vine, Wellbeing for Little Ones. So welcome to our podcast, Emma. Like many of our listeners, you're a mother of two small children, one-year-old and a three-year-old. So what's it like for you now being a mum in the midst of this extraordinary COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, it really is extraordinary, Pam. And I think for me, I mean, there's the social, the social separation from family and friends that I'm really noticing. And, you know, I guess that's a bit of a loss of the social support from other mums when the kids have play dates, just those chats that I have with other mums around what we're going through and what we're doing, whether it's tips and advice or sharing experiences or whether it's just a bit of empathy. Uh, those conversations, I guess, don't happen as much at the moment because we're not yeah. seeing each other. Um and then there's, I guess, the disruption to our lives, you know, the changes in our routines just from being home, cancelling our activities, even making decisions about whether to send the kids to childcare or not, whether to go to swimming lessons or not, uh, whether to see friends for a play date or not. And I think as things progress, we're not having to make as many of those decisions, but definitely early on just the decision-making was a challenge. Now it's more around the changes in our day-to-day lives. And that's what really interests me as an occupational therapist, how this social distancing and bunkering down in our own homes and being removed from our family and friends affects families' everyday routine. You know, what these changes in routine mean for mums and babies when it comes to sensory nourishment, when it comes to sleep and feeding and overall well-being. Yes, absolutely. Um, All the neuroscience points to the importance of environmental enrichment of of lovely rich and changing sensory motor input and social input for our baby's development and and so i'm very interested in in how we can support our parents with with babies mm. through the this time of of physical distancing but then the sheltering in the home yeah and, and so of course, there's a real intersection then between sensory motor nourishment and sleep. So I wonder if you could talk to me, Emma, about your thoughts there, your perspective on COVID-19 and sleep for our babies. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Pam, I think for thinking about sleep and that sensory nourishment and just life experiences in general for babies and what that brings to their everyday life, You know, the research is telling us that we can influence babies' sleep by helping set their body clocks and by increasing their sleep pressure. So if we're thinking about babies' body clocks and entrainment, basically entrainments when our football listeners, I know you know this, Pam, but when our inside world is syncing up with our outside world. So when babies' internal clocks, which tells the baby when they need to be awake and when they need to be asleep, aligns with the external cues like day and night or what time the whole family gets up. And from an occupational therapy perspective, This is really, really important. You know, for us OTs or us occupational therapists, occupation is any activity that we do in our day. It's not just work. It's the way that each person does their activities through the day that's unique and means something. Elizabeth Larson is an occupational therapist and she talks about occupational orchestration. And what she's talking about is how, in particular, how 
mums put their activities together throughout the day. When you're a mum, that's a bit of a daily dance. Mm. You know, mm. for me, I, I wake up in the morning and I breastfeed my baby in bed and my husband goes and gets our big girl up, do nappy changes, we have breakfast together um, as a whole family. And then it's a bit of a flurry when the girls want to play and we're cleaning up breakfast and dressing them and putting on sunscreen when we remember. <laughs> um, you know, we have to pack the bags and we spend 10 minutes, you know, carrying a baby around the house looking for my kids. Be right. <laughs> always in a cluster. Absolutely. You know, and then eventually we head out the door and we go to our activity or our play date, depending on the day. And the day continues. And, you know, sometimes that routine changes because of somebody's needs or sometimes it changes because we just need to do something different. But the way that all that flows, the planning and the small adjustments that I make along the way, it's a dance that I do every day. And I'm guessing that other mums can relate to that, that it's a bit of a dance here, there and everywhere for us. Yes, and, and yet the, the most popular approaches at the moment to infant sleep emphasise routine and actually schedule sleep or encourage parents to be at home at certain times during the day in order to promote the baby's sleep. So can you tell me how the dance really that you've been doing over these recent years with first your eldest and now the little one, how that dance actually fits in with sleep. And then, and then moreover, in the context of COVID-19, where we are having more difficulty accessing the kind of environmental enrichment or sensory motor stimulation that we might have previously. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty flexible person when it comes to routine and schedules. So, you know, I think my girls are going to sleep at a particular time and they don't, so we just stay awake and, you know, my kids don't sleep very much. So my baby might have half an hour of nap during the day and then doesn't go to bed till eight or nine o'clock at night. And so, but, you so know, in have that conversation with friends. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Pam? Oh, I was just going to say. So, so actually, you're allowing the little ones sleep. In fact, probably from what I'm hearing, both of your girls sleep to be under the control of sleep pressure. Is that right? I try. I try to <laughs> absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things. You know, we know that it's important for sleep pressure to build for babies to be able to sleep. That's what your work tells us, Pam. And the the opportunities to be able to do that are really important. You know, having your social support so that if your kids are awake and you haven't had a break and you haven't slept overnight, there's someone there, grandma or childcare or a nanny or an auntie or a friend who can help keep an eye on the kids for half an hour so you can have a rest or whatever it is. And, you know, you were asking about how does COVID-19 affect this, yeah. these things to do with sleep. And yeah. I, I think one of the things is that not having that social support really places a lot of stress on parents because, you know, if you're trying to build sleep pressure for your kids, if you're trying to keep them awake, if they're not tired and if you're trying to engage with them and stimulate them through the day and if you're just going with the flow, if they're not tired, they're not sleeping until yeah. it's nighttime, then that's really exhausting. Yes, yeah. It's good good for nighttime sleep. Absolutely exhausting in the day. Yes. Yeah, and I think the other part of it is you know, if you're feeling stressed or if you've got things to organize, you know, we've had changes in our employment and having to organize working from home and having to organize our finances and things like that. You know, 
we've needed extra time and having a sleeping baby is really beneficial for that. So, you know, it's really tempting to put babies down for sleep during the day when you've got a lot going on. And, you know, our littlest one, she's really happy to sleep if we put her to sleep during the day. It just means the night times are a bit harder. Yes. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes I take the hit. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I suppose in terms of patterns over time, if we, you know, attempted to try to grow those big blocks of daytime sleep so that we, well, you know, so that we get a break or so that we can get things done, if if we're doing that in a way that develops up as a pattern over time, it won't be immediately but it'll be, you know, two, three, four weeks down the track that we we may have significantly disrupted the circadian clock and find ourselves in an even worse situation of excessive night waking. It's the risk, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think really, you know, we were talking about doing the dance. Yeah. That's a bigger picture dance, you know, finding the balance. You know, sometimes you need your baby to nap in the day so something can happen and it's okay to take that, you know, one night of bad sleep or whatever it is. But also I think knowing as a parent what the long-term impacts are of that if those sleep patterns change um, more drastically in the long term, yeah, if that becomes a regular thing, you know, how exhausting that can be not to sleep all night. That excessively frequent night waking, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's a high Um, price to pay really. Yeah. And I think the other thing is the stimulation that babies get just from going out and about. Very interested to hear how you think things may be changing now for parents. What can parents do in our current pandemic context to nevertheless support healthy sleep for our babies? Did you have ideas around that? I've got some, but I'd like to hear your thoughts first. Yeah, sure. I think... So the question is, what can parents do in the midst of this pandemic? Yes, to nevertheless maintain. Yes, it's true, and I know you've touched on that a bit. But let's let's, um, if you don't mind, we can address that again. Yeah, sure. So earlier, I was talking about the importance of all those activities. You know, um, play dates, going to the library for rhyme time, going to swing lessons. All of which have closed down now, haven't they? Yeah, so they're gone. And I think, you know, my advice as an occupational therapist for parents would be, you know, routine is important. Not necessarily routine that your child goes to sleep at this time and wakes up at that time and feeds at this time and finishes their feed at that time. Routine is important in that if you usually go to swimming lessons or if you usually have a play date on a Tuesday, then, you know, replace that with something at home that resembles that activity. So keep your child engaged and stimulated. Provide them with um, that routine, the routine of activity, of occupation, Mm. things that are meaningful to them and to you. That's Um, it. You know, we've been filling up our paddle pool on a Thursday because the kids love their swimming lessons and it's such an active physical thing for them. It really ties them out, you know, and helps to build that sleep pressure. And on a Monday we go out for a big walk because that's normally the day when uh, we were going to gymnastics for my bigger girl and my little one would run around the, you know, the sprung floor and pull on the balance beams. And, you know, she was so engaged and she was trying new things and she had that whole body movement going on and, the, you know, the vestibular, the balance aspect of it and the, 
all that pressure through her joints. So I really try to give them that, even though we can't go to that activity. Yes, so, yeah, I think that's my, my main message that I'd want parents to think about is that stimulating your children, especially little ones under one, you know, giving them activity, keeping them awake if you can, you know, until they're tired and they need to go to sleep. But, you yeah. know, really building that sleep pressure, helping them to know when it's daytime compared to when it's nighttime, letting yeah. them see that activity happens in the day, even if we're still at home. That's you're going it. out on the balcony or your backyard in the sunlight. I think those sorts of routines are so important um, for sleep for babies. That's it. Uh, as our Renee Keogh so often says, daytime is for living and nighttime is for sleeping. So oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So keeping the circadian clock really well aligned with Mm. Um, real time and the parents' circadian clock by, as you were saying, that regular get-up time. That's the one thing right from the very beginning that um, helps keep the circadian clock healthy, isn't it? People will often say, oh, healthy sleep for our babies, healthy sleep for children, regular bedtime at night. But actually that's a misreading of the sleep science, isn't it? It's that regular get-up time that sets the circadian clock and if everything's going really well and a family has no sleep worries then that you know we'll we'll all have days where it's really nice to sleep in but as soon as there's concerns about what's what's happening at night for your baby regular get up time so important and it's not going to necessarily affect what's happening at night if you've got excessive night waking it's not going to necessarily affect that immediately we're setting up patterns over a one to two week period it's much like dealing with time zone differences with jet lag it takes a week or so for the body clock to adapt to something new yeah and I think for me when I first started trying these things at like at a personal level yeah that was really challenging that yep. was you know, I'm like someone who likes to do something and see a change. And, you know, I was doing things and it was like coronavirus with two weeks until I saw anything. It was, you know, yeah. there was a, yeah. a lag time between yeah. when you start trying things and when you'd really see a change. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it was hard to persist. And, yes. Um, sometimes I didn't, you know, sometimes I'd, especially with the getting up at the same time every day, you know, I was just, so tired by the time I started trying um, different approaches to sleep that getting up at the same time every morning and you know for us that became 6am and that was just so early when possibly my first decent-ish stint of sleep had started at 4am. Oh, (laughs) that you had a a severe situation there with excessive night working. Yeah, sometimes. Um, But you know, that's so sometimes I'd start trying things and I'd give it a go. It would be a week and I'd say, oh, look, it's just not, I'm not ready to do that. And we'd mm. talk about it. You know, my husband and I would talk about it and we'd say, oh, we'll, we'll give that a break and mm. keep doing the other things that we're trying and we'll come back and think about that later. And, mm. You know, someone else's mum would step in and give us a hand for a few days or whatever it is and then we'd be ready to try things again. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but I think that that time that you're talking about that, you know, two weeks or so or even more sometimes um, for things to reset. Yeah, that can be challenging because I think going easy on yourself as a mum is really important in that instance. 
Yes, absolutely. Yes, you, you're so right, Emma, that kind of self-compassion, self-kindness. So vital, really, in our parenting journey, I think. Pam, I guess I've been telling you about my personal experiences and my perspective as an occupational therapist, uh, but I'm not an, um, you know, an accredited practitioner in this area. Uh, as someone who is a, a leader in the field, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on um, what COVID-19 means for mums, for babies, for families um, in terms of this concept of your everyday life and the stimulation that babies get out of uh, their usual routines and what that means for sleep. Thanks, Emma. And um, it's been extraordinarily rich hearing of your personal experience and then hearing that through the lens of your professional experience as an occupational therapist. I think that will be very helpful for parents. But I will share with you some of my thoughts here about baby sleep in the times of COVID-19 and, and environmental enrichment, so rich and changing sensory motor stimulation and how we can think about that within the constraints that we're facing if we're parents of babies at this time. Babies' environmental enrichment has two facets really, doesn't it? It has social stimulation and from an evolutionary point of view, our babies evolved in the context of, you could call it multi-centric social contact, many loving adults. Of course, one of the realities of our contemporary society has been that dyadic, that one-on-one relationship very much dominant between a primary carer and a baby and and that's tough it's exhausting for that primary carer and it's one of the reasons why in the possum sleep program or more broadly our neuroprotective developmental care programs we've invited um, that primary carer to get out of the house and create a, a rich social life for herself which then almost inadvertently creates rich sensory motor experiences for the babies. But how do we, how do we think of this now in this time when so many of the primary carers of babies are um, homebound? There's a section in your book, The Discontented Baby, that talks about, and it stuck with me, about mums getting out and doing things with baby in tow. Yes. And it just so spoke to me. Oh. Like getting out and doing things for myself, going walking or seeing a friend or going to a coffee shop with baby in tow, you know, they're part of it. You love them. They're important. But sometimes, and they get lots out of it, but sometimes the activity is for the mum or it's, you know. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I suppose I, I'm certainly encouraging the primary carer, very often when we're talking babies, a woman to maintain social connectedness even in a situation of physical distancing and sheltering in the home. And this is where, you know, we have the extraordinary phenomenon of social media and connectivity online, which I think will need to continue to be a very rich part of, of, um, a primary carer's life with her baby. But, but we do know that our little ones and particularly in the first months of life, but right throughout the first 12 months, will dial up 
inside the home. They'll start to cry, fuss, just because there's not enough happening um, to meet that biological need for rich and changing sensory input. And so we're, we're going to be, each of us, managing the particular residential situation that we find ourselves in. Here in Australia, many of us, but, but certainly not all, but many of us do have decks or verandas and better still, many of us will have the backyard. However, there'll be large numbers of mothers managing the pandemic in apartments where it's very difficult to access the external environment. However, to the extent that we can, the outdoors will continue to be our friend. The more that we can get that baby out into the backyard or indeed walk the streets, the easier it will be really to keep the little one dialed down because his or her sensory motor needs are being met. My daughter is currently in New York City, which of course is managing a horrendous crisis with COVID-19. And whilst even a week ago, although she she um, is in the apartment with her husband and two children, she was still able to go out for, for runs or for, for a walk. That's really no longer an option in that, that sort of very dense urban environment that's at the epicentre, really, of, of this pandemic. So apartment living with a baby is going to be really challenging. It's, it's where we use the windows as best we can and then as much physicality of interaction with that baby as we've got the strength for. So let me explain what I'm, I'm thinking of there and jump in, Emma, won't you, if you can expand on any of this or, or even if there's something here that you're uncomfortable about or. Yeah, no, Pam, what you're saying really aligns with my view as an occupational therapist. You know, you're talking about this transactional relationship between the environment and the person, you know, the environment and the baby or the environment and the mum and the baby. Um, and that, you know, using the environment to best meet the needs of the baby. Yes. Um, in terms of providing that rich, stimulating environment. Um, it absolutely aligns with the way I see it. Perfect, yes. So that's the first thing that I wanted to say was as far as we possibly can use the outdoors and where I am, and you, you also, Emma, here in Brisbane in Australia, we mm. can still walk the streets. And particularly, you know, with those young babies, really spending the days walking the streets, you know, it's good for us. It keeps us moving. The babies love it because they can see that, that inimitable complexity of, of the outdoor world. You know, I'm always saying if you think a single tree, even though a young baby can't focus on the leaves, you know, the baby can see all that rich, incredibly complex movement of light and shadow of a single tree, half a million leaves, you know, versus a single wall inside the house. So certainly accessing the, the outdoors to the extent that we can, you know, we're moving 
into our relatively mild winter here, but even in those countries that are managing colder weather, rug, rug the baby up and, and get moving as much as you can in the outdoor environment, keeping your two metres distance from the people that you pass on the street until such time as authorities tell you that it's no longer safe to be out on the streets as has occurred in New York. And then what happens, Pam? Yes, well, so then I suppose before all else, then we practice enormous self-compassion because it's it's going to be tough if if we're inside, let's say, inside an apartment and we don't have access to the outdoors. I mean, even in the backyard, at least we can be gardening and digging and I say gardening, but, but you know, it's amazing what um, women can do with a baby strapped to their body in a carrier, isn't it? But let's let's say that, that the outdoors is no longer available to us and we're thinking indoors. The first thing I, well, first thing I wanted to emphasize was deep self-compassion because it's going to be tough. We might find that our baby really is crying, um, you know, more than would be the case if you were able to pursue your normal socially engaged uh, life outside the house. And I, I would actually um, encourage um, families to have a look at the possumsonline.com website. You'll see that we've got a set of um, freely available videos there about acceptance and commitment therapy for parents with babies. This this offers a set of powerful strategies for managing the difficult thoughts and feelings that will inevitably come up during this time and will come up even more powerfully if if our baby is crying and crying more than you know more than he or she otherwise would because we're enclosed within an apartment. So that that's a resource that I'd like to direct the listeners to. So you know it's 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 hard work meeting our baby's sensory motor needs if it's one on one a primary carer and a baby. One of the the things that I hope would be happening if if a family is sheltering in an apartment without access to the outside world is that there may be another loving adult, let's say a father or a another mother or another father or uh, another parent of non-binary gender, another loving adult in the family who who is available to support you as as you interact with the baby and do your best to respond to the baby's cues, to the baby's needs. We're certainly interested in those reciprocity chains, if you like, as we're interacting with our babies where a baby might signal in some way, make a little cue, a little communication, and a loving adult is able to respond, um, often in very physical ways, you know, that that um, hands-on responsive play with our babies is actually a to-and-fro interaction, often initiated by the baby. We want to look out for when the baby's actually signaling that they want to interact with us um, they can be really very subtle signals, but we want to be looking out for them and growing those reciprocity chains. Did you have comments at that point, Emma? Yes, I think I was just enjoying listening to what you had to say, Pam. <laughs> I can keep on my, my role here. <laughs> no, it's nice, nice to add as well. I was just thinking about, you know, providing that rich 
and stimulating environment for babies and you're talking about the use of the outdoors and then what happens if we're stuck indoors or what mm. if we're even stuck indoors and in our own backyards. But mm. that bit, that's all we've got to offer the baby. Um, and I was thinking, you know, in my work as an occupational therapist, I'm always thinking about modifying the environment. How can we best change and use the environment? And if I think we're thinking about when it comes to rich, stimulating environments, uh, for a baby, that means new experiences. Mm. So, um, you know, people talk about sensory play with babies all the time, a little bit of sensory play with baby, introducing them to some new experiences, whether it's how does this paintbrush feel, you know, a dry paintbrush, what does it feel like on your legs and your feet? Or what if we play some tickle games, you know, through to let's lie on the grass Ah, oh, that's a good one. Like, well, yeah, but that's with, a good one if you you've know, got no the grass. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, a bit of water play and just thinking each day, what, you know, consciously, what new sensory experiences can I give my baby? What do they, what do they like about getting a bit of moisturizer on their hands? Or, you know, what do they think about, you know, some pictures? I'll put some pictures out for them to look at. I'll stick them on the wall and we can look at them and point to them. Or you know, if I tie some steamers to the fan, what does that look like for them when they lie back? And, you know, it's just if you can do one thing each day to provide them with something new in the environment mm, that they're in constantly, mm. it's almost as good as being outside. You know, it's it's one step closer to all those new experiences of birds flying overhead and trees rustling and going new places and seeing different people. And, mm. you know, we we can modify the environment to provide those opportunities if they're not there naturally. And and that's what's left to us really, isn't it, in this time as we respond appropriately to the virus. Um, I mean, I, I always think that, you know, I'm, I'm always saying to parents that um, the internal environment of the house is just exponentially less complex relative to the outside world. But if this is... This is the world that we find ourselves confined in, you know, the inside of the house. Then perhaps things that that would have um, been quite incidental that we didn't need to think about consciously are things that that we need to work with creatively, as you're suggesting, to um, do our best to keep um, the baby's environment rich and full of new experiences. You know, I and I mean yep. sometimes you can't set things up, but walking to a new room can be a change for babies or turning on the lights or turning off the lights, you know, not all day, but, you know, just changing something. Yeah, yeah. Doing something somewhere unusual or, you know, it doesn't have to be something that takes six hours to set up yep. a craft activity or, you know, exactly. playing in the mud or whatever that's, you know, hard to set up and hard to clean up. Exactly. Sometimes that's nice, but sometimes it can just be a new experience. That's it. And of course, all of this depends on the age of the baby too, doesn't it? In those very first 100 days of, mm. of exquisite neuroplasticity, the baby's brain requires rich postural variability. Mm. And, and of course, that does continue throughout the 12, first 12 months of life and into toddlerhood and beyond. But, but I'm particularly aware of our, our, um, women very often but our our parents managing um babies in the first 100 days and the vulnerability of that and the just the 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 sheer hard work of that 
amplified enormously in in this context of pandemic. And so this is where I'd really encourage a primary carer to experiment with carriers. Uh, you know, you, the use of carriers or in, in the very early days, the ring slings, but, but moving fairly quickly onto the carriers is it doesn't suit all families. And, and I have always been very open to families finding a way through to, to suit their own particular styles. But I have to say, Emma, that in the time of, of this pandemic, I'd, I'd really encourage families with a young baby to experiment with carrier use, even if you just try a little bit each day or a couple of times a day to get the baby used to it, because it's a very, very rare baby that doesn't like a carrier once, once they've, they've done a little bit of adapting to it. And it means that that baby, against your body will be exposed to postural variability as you go about using your body around the home. I guess I'd also wanted to reflect upon some of the um, the guidelines that have grown up in the last 10 years around carrier use. And uh, I, I would like to say that I think we do what works and if your baby's happier now in the carrier looking out, and, and often that's the case as the baby moves through the first few months of life, that little one just doesn't like to be turned in against the adult's body because there's not enough going on they want to see. I would propose that what's important is that we keep the little lumbar spine and pelvis in a C shape, so flexed forward. We don't want those banana backs, those extended spines you know hyperextension of the spine is is not good for our bubbies we want to support that little spine into a nice comfy c shape we don't need to worry about um, head control because in fact the way our babies develop head control is by having experiences of gravity to work against so um so i think we I'd encourage parents to use their common sense to experiment and see what works best for their baby, just bearing in mind that we want the pelvis and lumbar spine flexed forward in a nice C shape, that's all. Mm. And so we're talking about um, providing experiences and talking about the importance of postural variability for babies, especially in those really early days of their life. Absolutely. Particularly in those first 100 days of baby's life. And I guess part of the importance of that postural variability, you know, the reason why we want babies to be in different positions um, and in different postures is uh, to help with, help with their development of movement and to help with the sensory experiences that they have. And so, you know, that can happen in a carrier, absolutely. Uh, we hear about tummy time all the time and, you know, the importance of that. We don't hear a lot about side lying for babies, but babies lying on their side, you know, lying beside your baby and looking at them and chatting and helping them pull their arm over and their leg over so that they're lying on their side. You know, it's a beautiful way to engage with a baby, and whether it's on a soft rug or whether it's on the bed or you know, mixing it up. Um, so that baby's got different experiences. But yeah, sideline can be really great for that. Just carrying baby in different ways, you know, mm. carrying them on one side, carrying them on the other, lying them over your arm, yes. them, you know, over your shoulder, popping them on your knees when you're sitting. Babies love to be close. So yeah, the 
you know, giving them whatever opportunities it is to develop the muscles, you know, in their trunk, at the front, at the back and down the sides, and, you know, in their neck so that they can hold their head up and really, you know, giving them as many opportunities to be, you know, for want of a better expression, a well-rounded baby. <laughs> that's it, that's in it. Lots of different, lots of different ways. Um, yes, that's that's right, Emma. And, um, you know, I'm always uh, saying to parents, certainly, you know, the, the formal on your tummy for tummy time, I'll often suggest you might just do it for a brief moment with nappy changes, but we don't want babies to develop up negative associations with being on their tummies, so we just just do it to the extent that the little one tolerates or enjoys. But you see, there's as you were saying, the baby over the forearm, tummy over the forearm held nice and firmly against the, the grown-up's body is another kind of tummy time. We've got a really nice, well, I think it's a really nice little video up freely available on the possumsonline.com website. I think it's called Supporting Your Baby's Healthy Motor Development and it just has a mum illustrating some of that way in which you can have a baby draped over your forearm, held nicely up against your body. They can see out and they tend to they tend to love it. They do. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> they just. I've seen so many babies so happy draped over their mum's arms. Mine have been for sure. Not every baby's going to love it, but lots yeah, do. I they absolutely do. agree. They it's do. Gorgeous. Yeah, that's it. Um, and you know, we've been talking a lot about you know rich sensory environments and sensory nourishment for babies, and what these changes in our lives with COVID nineteen are going to mean for babies, um, and that potential for a reduction in sensory stimulation for babies throughout the day and I think absolutely this movement whether it's being comfortable in a carrier close to mum or dad or whoever else is living in the house whether it's being carried in different ways whether it's lying on the floor and playing in different positions and definitely switching it up and changing positions for baby however that looks for you and your baby you know it's a wonderful way to provide sensory stimulus baby has pressure through their joints changing so they're learning about where their body is in space they have different tactile stimulus when you move them and hold them um, or when they're in contact with the floor or a carrier Um, you know they've got the vestibular aspect so that movement through space and that balance tipping and spinning um, you know there's so much rich sensory stimulation there just from moving around in different positions that's variability that's it. So lots of, of physical play, that physical interaction that keeps you moving, that's enjoyable for both of you, you know, and if we're rewarded by smiles or chuckles, how wonderful is that, um, you know. Um, I, I'm, I, um, dance is my preferred form of exercise and at a time like this, again, turning on the music or even dancing if you haven't got the strength to turn on the music, but turning on the music and starting to dance with that baby. Again, all that lovely um, uh, variability of movement for that little developing nervous system, that little developing motor system will be so good for him or her. And also, Emma, I wanted to comment on backpacks 
Um, because again, before we know it, certainly by six months of age, but there'll be plenty of babies who are really ready for this a bit younger as long as parents are sensible, you know, and make sure that the baby's safe with that nice C-shape tucked to the pelvis and lumbar spine forward. Backpacks can be a real godsend for parents. A good one, a camping backpack or a Mac pack that takes the weight on the hips because, again, your hands are free, but that little person, um, if you're indoors, is up having a bit of a kind of exciting ride on your shoulders, can see everything that's going on, postural variability, pulling on your hair and neck, you know, um, but backpacks can work really well as soon as you think your little one's ready. Don't worry about the rules, but just be sensible in terms of when you think it's it's safe for your little one and your little one um, is going to be happier there than anywhere else. You say pulling on your hair. Yeah, I kept thinking. I keep thinking, pulling on your hair, it starts out beautiful, but it very quickly becomes painful. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's so in my research, I um, focus a lot on using a strengths approach to asking questions. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions that comes out of the strengths approach is what works. Yes. So what we've been talking about today or what I've heard from you is that maintaining social contact during COVID-19 is what's going to work. Yes. Um, what we know works already. Um, you know, what we've learned from the past is that a rich, stimulating environment works for baby. And in COVID-19, this could be using the outdoors, involving another loving adult to support you and to respond and play with babies and modifying the environment uh, if we are stuck inside and providing baby with lots of movement and postural variability. Is there anything that we haven't covered? Well, I think this has been a very rich conversation. I wanted to expand briefly on um, water, which you mentioned. But, you know, thinking of the very little ones, the newborn, the first months of life, then right through into the toddler, such as your youngest one, the water can be such a lovely, rich sensory motor experience. So bathing our newborns, but getting into the bath with our with our young babies, getting into the bath with our babies who are now sitting up and then, of course, having a lot of raucous bath play with our toddlers. I think the bath and, and indeed just getting in the shower with the baby on your hip, but water will be something that I, I propose you could bring to mind if things are starting to feel a little frayed. Yes, definitely. And in our house, bath time doesn't just happen after dinner and before bed. Bath time happens when we've run out of things to do. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's a great form of entertainment for the kids, but, you know, it really does provide them with another type of sensory stimulation. Absolutely. Um, and, I mean, when our kids were babies, you know, bath time was also a way to settle them. And I think what you were saying about, you know, baby's biological need for sensory stimulation, that going into the bathroom, the light was different and the tiles were different to the rest of the house. And the, then they get in the water and that's nice and lovely and different. And, you know, that really is a form of sensory stimulation for babies. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other thing I did want to mention, for as long as it's safe for you to be out either walking on the streets or indeed riding bikes, then um, having one of the trailers 
for babies on your bike can be a lovely way to, um, you know, spend some time each day out and about with the baby in one of the bike trailers. Is there a proper name for the bike trailers, Emma? I, you know what I mean. Trailers. Is that what they're called? Did I get it right? <laughs> yes, that's what, if you, yeah, if you Google bike trailer, that's I know that's oh okay good yes well <laughs> I think you know there there may be a role for us to to really be getting out um, with our bike trailers as well yes absolutely what we found is the bike trailer is a great opportunity for a break you know being at home and being in the house and just being our family not having the kids going off to anyone else or anyone else coming into the home you know it's really intense it's, yeah yeah, having children with you 24 hours a day sometimes but you know most of the time it's you know from morning till night they're they're with us and for me it's mostly they're with me unless I'm at work and then um, my husband has the kids and they're with him from wake up until bedtime so you know there's no there's no breaks no, for no, a lot of families during this it. COVID-19 pandemic that's it um time in our homes um being on the bike and putting the kids in the bike trailer, they're so happy. They look out the window and they're looking around and they're moving and rolling and, yep, you know, it. there's a bumpity bump of going along. That's it. And, um, and I'm so happy because I've got a moment. I'm riding along and the world's passing by and there's nobody talking to me and there's nobody beside me and I just have a break and I come back and I'm, I'm a much better mum for it, you know. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got so much more patience and so much more attention to give. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that. I think for as long as we can do that, that's um, again another very positive strategy. So, I suppose again, you touched on this, Emma, but even in the the, the pre um, COVID 19 times, um, at the Possums Clinic, um, we'd often give parents a handout that. We called it my schedule, and the idea was that instead of trying to schedule our baby's sleep, which so often down the track actually results in worse night waking or um, or at least ramps up stress within the family in a way that's very unhelpful without we know we know from the research that the sleep training doesn't um, decrease night waking actually for most families so um when we were talking to families about the, the possum sleep program and the, the kind of approach that you were detailing earlier on, um, we'd often suggest that the kind of scheduling um, that's really important is scheduling in your activities every day, morning, afternoon, evening. Evening can often be the hardest because baby's sensory needs are so acute in the evening and yet we're all typically so tired come evening. And so... Now more than ever, that sense of planning out the day, you know, you'll be exhausted when you wake up in the morning very often. It's not even having to think about it. This is the day that I've planned out and these are the things that we're going to do throughout the day, holding everything lightly and flexibly, but having that sense of, right, this is when I'm tuning into the possum's community room, for instance, which is available um, free at 2 p.m. Brisbane time for anybody, really. If you go to the Possums for Parents with Babies Facebook page, you'll see this resource and lots of other resources available. But, you know, <laughs> planning out, out the day so that that um, you have a sense of, of, of the shape of things. 
this is so important, isn't it, Emma? It's what you've been saying mm, too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, planning activities, making sure that the day is full, that babies are getting enough stimulation, but also that mums having to think on the spot all day to come up with activities. Exactly. You know, putting that planning in to reduce the load um, through the day. That's it. That's it. So I think um, this has been such a rich conversation and I'm so grateful to you, Emma, for um, being available for it. Thank you, Pam. I've loved to hear your ideas and, and your framing through the lens of an occupational therapy as well as just that, that hard one experience as a mum. Thank you. Well, thank you. Pam, I've got a, I've got a question for you that yes. I think you might enjoy answering. Yes. Pam, we're coming into a world where some families are going to feel the need for some extra support. In a perfect world, what services would all mums and dads be able to access from your perspective well, to help them through this challenging period? You know, yes. firstly, I guess, in an ideal world, and secondly, what are you offering? Well, thank you, Emma. So, you know, I have the view out of, oh, really 20 years of, of research now and also my clinical experience um, over decades that the kind of support that parents need in very early life is aligned with the baby's evolutionary needs but is alert to underlying clinical problems that can become very disruptive to that lovely synchrony between a parent and baby. And and this is what we're offering in our evidence-based neuroprotective developmental care. Um, you can read about it on the website possumsonline.com. You can buy a possum sleep program. We keep, we're a charity. Possums for Parents with Babies is a charity we try to keep. And particularly in these times when so many people have, have, you know, just lost their livelihoods, we're trying to keep all of this very cheap, but but just having to survive ourselves. So the Possum Sleep Program is there, the Gestalt Breastfeeding Online Program is there. Importantly, PIPS, Peer Support for Parents, is, is becoming very, very active as the pandemic takes hold. So it's a closed Facebook group with support groups within it and a wealth of video library born out of, of our programs, out of our resources. And we also have just miraculously, um, thanks to uh, Cara and Mara, put up a, a website, a, a second website within a week that offers Possums Clinic online services, so online consultations for parents with babies offered by our um, practitioners who are accredited in neuroprotective developmental care. We also offer education, masterclasses and an accreditation pathway for health professionals across disciplines who are interested in offering this innovative, indeed cutting-edge um, approach to the care of parents with babies. So in conclusion, Emma, was there anything else that you'd like to add? I would. I think that parents of young babies are ideally situated to respond to this situation. Already we've been through major and transformative life events, not a pandemic, but rather a more positive experience, the births of our babies and the early months of their lives. Lots of new mums, myself included, have spent time in with their new babies, 
either when they were pregnant or when their babies were first born. I didn't leave the house a lot when I was pregnant because I was so nauseous um, and for the whole pregnancy. After our second baby was born, we had a really lovely period of time where we just stayed at home with our two girls, just a few important visitors coming to see us. Many parents have also dealt with health concerns either during their pregnancy or postnatally, and so they're ready, ready to think about the health of themselves and their families. I really believe that parents of young babies are some of society's best equipped people to work through the challenges of this pandemic, Pam. And I encourage mums and dads to start the conversations with their friends about how this experience compares to their past experiences and to think about what they can draw on based on their past experiences overcoming challenges. You know, what might work for them throughout what we're facing with COVID-19. New parents or parents of young babies can be leaders through this and really model to others how we can respond positively. Thank you, Emma. That's such a profound reflection and I I think you're right. So thank you and take care. You too, Pam. Thank you. Bye. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com, for lots of free resources and programs and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the Possums programs. As together, we grow joy in early life. I hope you tune in again soon. Bye for now.